Uh, welcome, everyone, uh, to our uh, latest podcast. We're doing one of these a month, and, and they're a great deal of fun. Uh, if you don't know me, I am uh, Daryl Missy, the, the director of Children's Division, and uh, I, I get to kind of host and kick things off. Uh, I'll let everybody else who's in the room uh, introduce themselves, and, and we will go from there. Uh, Sarah, why don't we start with you? Sarah Smith, Deputy Director over um, things on the front end of our child welfare system. So from the initial hotline call through anything that we're offering in home. Joni Rogers, uh, Deputy Director over Operations and Administration, which is everything internal to the division. Terry Armstead, and I'm one of the Deputy Directors over the Permanency Unit. So um, from the time that children enter care until the time that they exit. And I'm Bill Bott with the Change and Innovation Agency. Glad to be back for another podcast. Well, it's great to it's great to have you all. Uh, we are we are going to be talking about process today, about uh, efficiencies and innovations that we're doing, and uh, we're, we're going to you know be talking about the CCU and other ideas that uh, are being explored right now. Uh, Sarah, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us where we are? Well, we have been up and running with CCU since uh, February 17th of 2022, so we're about six months in, and it's really exciting to come back, kind of a six-month check-in, because Bill was our guest. Um, Several of you probably remember our first podcast that we did, and Bill was our guest then, so it's really exciting to look back over the last six months and see what our teams have been doing throughout the state. So CCU, about six months in, you know, we had the summer to really... Uh, our report volume drops over the summer and so we had some time there to be making gains on our overdue reports and overall um, we saw about a 12% reduction in CAN reports and um, but caseloads throughout the state the southeast and if you're in the northwest I know Chris's thing in the northwest is ring that cowbell Um, so definitely northwest uh, team members that are listening you can ring that cowbell Uh, You've had over a 50% reduction in caseloads since CCU came up. It's really exciting. Um, The Northeast and Southwest are right behind you at about a 40% reduction. And so what that means is really we have about 497 workers that are carrying a CAN report today, and that could be from any program line. And so um, about 61 of those have over 30 open and the rest are consistently dropping. And so we're really exciting, uh, excited about that. We're just trying to make sure, you know, as you're getting work done, make sure and call. Call for a consult, even if you're not ready to close. We're having um, a memo go out uh, around the 9th, a memo call the 9th of September, where we're gonna announce that the, uh, some barriers are being lifted for those that are calling to make the process easier. We've heard your feedback from the groups that are reporting up. What would make it easier? What are the barriers of calling CCU? And so the safety and, ri- safety and risk assessment will be entered by CCU staff if you're calling um, before that seven day mark and your timely initial contact if you're calling within that three day mark. So really all you are doing is the assessment and then calling. You don't need to enter anything. The CCU team will do that for you. And so it's really exciting. I think that you know we're gonna continue to be making gains and you can really tell the team members throughout the state that are embracing the model calling and um, we're just hearing great things from the team members that are using it and making those calls. But I do think there's probably room for improvement. 
So Well, and I think it's important, though, because when you hear 12%, maybe as a state, that doesn't sound like a lot. But when you dig into each region, that's where you get your bigger numbers and are able kind of to decipher a little better what's going on. And Bill, I know this wasn't necessarily a new concept for change and innovation. So when you've implemented it in other states, do you feel like Missouri's in alignment with what you've seen there? there yeah so six months in is a really interesting checkpoint uh, when we did the trainings and we were out in the state meeting some of you we talked about that first quarter the first three months is all about the adjustment it's all about learning about when to call and how this works in your regular workload and and just that kind of change and, and the time that time the time that it just takes to change and then the next three months is typically when we start to see performance get better so if I would have said six months ago, look, in four of your regions, you're going to have 50% less open cases uh, with the same amount of work coming in, but 50% less cases open in your areas, we would have all said, yes, that's the victory mark. Let's you know put the flag up. They'll build a statue to us out front of the Capitol. <laughs> Everything will be great. Um, but... Uh, but 50% and you know when you look overall 12% you're like okay well then why aren't if everyone's down by this much how are we only down 12% as a state because that's you could attribute that to like summer volume almost well we know we have a couple of challenges and that's not unique to Missouri every metropolitan area the larger the metropolitan area the larger the challenge in adapting this not because of volume um, that's kind of uh, it, it's it's one of those kind of false flags where everyone thinks that Oh, well, it's Kansas City. Well, they, they get more volume. Well, they also have more people. It's not necessarily a volume thing. It's just a matter of how it's going to work in their environment and with the things that they have to cope with uh, in their offices and the culture that they've built and all of it. It's a harder change for those larger offices. It's kind of like a larger boat, right? The smaller the boat, the more nimble it is, the easier it is to turn. The larger the ship, the harder it is to, to turn. That said, they are both turning. Um, St. Louis's ship has had a very limited crew, and we've had problems keeping crew, and they've have they have a tremendous caseload uh, right now, and they're just really trying to keep up, let alone turn the ship. But they have had a couple weeks this year already where they have closed more than have come in, and that's the secret. We want to see offices closing more than than have come in until we're through the backlog. Kansas City. Uh, just at the end of the summer seemed to have turned their ship real well. They had almost an entire month of closing more than have come in, and one week was even almost 100 more than have come in, which is really, that's, if we could regularly see that, and we're, it's going to be a call volume and, and a mix, but if we could regularly see that, then you're going to see their caseloads drop down by that 50%, and that's when we really, I mean, statewide, you're at about 11,000-ish open CAN reports at any given time, and we'd like to see that go down to about 6,000. Same amount of work coming in, we're just not letting work sit that could be closed. And when we do that, I think you're going to be sitting around 6,000 at some point in time. So while there is success, there's still a lot of work to do, particularly with your two very large ships to get them to uh, to get them fully turned to where they're really using CCU and work, using it in a way that works for them. So when you're well, looking... And speaking, and speaking uh, statewide, you know, I mean, I've been... I've been to all the circuits, nothing scientific about what I've been doing and getting the feedback I've been getting, but uh, CCU is one of those things where it, it is consistently, it is consistently on uh, the list of things people uh, anonymously on their own have listed as things we're doing right. Uh, so where it's been accepted and people have, have really grabbed a hold of it, they have seen the benefit of it, and I think that when, uh, when we all get there, uh, I, I think 
that the, the numbers are going to speak for themselves at, at that point. And I think that once we get uh, once we get uh, what we need in order for people to just feel like they're not drowning and this is just a tool that they use, uh, I think it's just going to keep getting better and better. I'm just very optimistic about it. Well, and I think that that's a good point. Um, you know, clearly our staff see it as kind of maybe like the first sign of hope in a long time. So that in and of itself makes it a success. The data you were just talking about, when you're looking at Missouri, not compared to the other states, do you yeah. still feel like it's a success? Yeah, I would say that uh, we're on the right course and that we're that you're getting there. And I would I would offer that some of the regions, of course, are moving. Their boats are a little more nimble. They're moving faster. Um, I think Missouri is a success in that we have you have mirrored what we've seen in other areas. We we did this in Indiana. Indianapolis was the slowest in their state to get their ship to turn. Uh, you know, it's large cities have the the most resistance to the change because they're large ships with a lot of water pushing them in the right direction. So um, I would say it's a success. I think that if I would have come in here and told you guys that we're going to reduce casos by 50% for half the state, you guys would have been happy. Um, so that's, that's, you know, if that's the measure, yes, successful. If the measure is overall where should we be versus where we are right now at six months, I'd say eh, we're probably at a B minus. Um, we could be a lot better, but we could also be a lot worse. So, um, once we get the ships turned in St. Louis and Kansas City, and it looks by the indicators recently that there are closing more than are coming in more regularly, uh, if that continues, then I think the next time we have a podcast and look at an update six months from now, we'll be looking at a $6,000, uh, $6,000, a $6,000 bonus for everyone. No, don't write that down. Uh, no, but a, a 6,000-ish caseload. Um, and again, without that you know the work is the work intakes coming in we still have the pressure to go out and see the child and do the work but they won't be lingering afterwards uh, we'll be closing those out and that should be about a 6,000 caseload across the state and the average call time right now is 34 minutes 34 minutes to have everything documented families getting closure and that case is off your plate yeah. I mean that's just amazing to me yeah it really is incredible when you break it down to you know, when the team broke it down to what needs to be captured to tell the story of a safe family so that we know we did our due diligence and we've been compliant and that we build that documentation for the next person who might need to look at it and use it, that we realize that we can do that in about 30 to 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that 30 to 40 minutes and closed and off your desk is so much better than I got to find time to put in this little documentation, but I don't have time for all of it, so I have to go. And, and it's just... Uh, that's why they take 35, 45 days. And if you can, even if you're on hold for a little bit, then you're 35 minutes and then it's off your plate. And that's the goal. And that frees up all that extra time to be working with other families, like the teams that Terry's, Terry's been working through. So I think it's interesting. We've got some successes on our front end case. And so what's the good news, Bill, on the, our, for our AC workers and our FCS teams? Yeah, and this is what I'm most excited about right now because where we have had a success in other states with that idea of a CCU-type unit, um, yours is unique to Missouri, but the concept we've, we've tested out in a few other places. What you guys are looking at here um, in Missouri for FCS and AC is new to any large state that we've, that we've encountered. There are some states that have similar setups to this, but mainly they're done like at county level. They're not done at a large state level, so this is exciting. So let me set it up by telling you what the teams found. Because we pulled teams from FCS and AC together and talked about um, 
what what they're seeing in their workload. And there was a theme that kind of ran through every focus group, all the team members, is that right at the front door, um, between the front door and the back door, we have somewhere between 20 and 40% of kids in care that could be in a different level of care, right? Which may include reunification, but it may include a different level of care being at home and there's all kinds of issues going on. So let's say that the 40%, the high end of that number is a frustration number, right? That maybe a child was removed because law enforcement called and made them remove and now we have to work all that system out when we know that they should be reunified, but there's still all that work that goes involved because of the law enforcement call. that's, some of that might just be frustration. It seems like that happens all the time. It doesn't happen all the time. But let's even take the low end. If two out of every 10 children could be at a different level of care or are ready to reunify or ready for TPR and find a new forever family uh, at that permanency decision, then that's significant. That's a lot of work that is sitting there on their workloads that we could get rid of. And so I think the first question is, well, how, how could that possibly be? Could there possibly be that many kids in care that, that uh, should be in a different area? And I think it's important to note that it's not, um, you know, this isn't a Missouri problem. This is a national problem. Everyone we talk to, the numbers are about the same. Uh, and it starts because the at intake, at CanWho, you get that pinhole look at the family, right? You're looking through the peep, uh, the peephole in the door, and you only see what the caller wants you to see. And their intent is to get you out. So we go out and we look. An investigations assessment, we open the door, we meet the family, we see what's going on, and you get to see the, the, the kind of a, the next level of deep understanding of what's going on in the family, and we make that assessment. And if things aren't right, if, things, if we have risk and safety concerns for the child, then we need to put them into care, whether they can be at home surrounded by services or whether they need to be removed for their own safety, whatever the case is, they make that call based on opening the door and meeting the family for a short amount of time. Then when AC and FCS get it, that's more like moving in with the family. They're getting a much deeper, richer understanding of the day-to-day operations and why things are the way they are and the struggles that the family has and what it's going to take to make the, the permanency decisions and, and decide what we can do. That deeper understanding, that moving in with the family and understanding their supports, that's a, that's a level of knowledge that assessment investigations doesn't get. Just like assessment investigations has infinitely more knowledge than can who has. So with that knowledge comes different direction, right? And so I think that 20 to 40% is our workers saying, look, if, if Can could have moved in with the family for a while, they might not have made this level of care decision. So of course, we can't have Can move in with every family the way that AC and FCS does. So we have to look at what can we build from AC, FCS as a filter that once we know a little bit more about the family, are they in the appropriate level of care and where should they be? So that's the first big contributor to that number. The second contributor to that number is on the back end, right? Is there is a gap between the time that the workers report that they know the permanency decision and the time that there is action and activity. And so the teams concentrate on those two areas. How do we build a good filter and a good plan for this family to be in the right level of care and then at the, uh, as the case progresses, how do we make sure when we know a direction, when we have the direction, the permanency decision for this family, how do we move activity close to that decision? And that was their two primary 
areas of focus, and they developed a unit, a specialized uh, setup unit that will do those functions. And Terry, I know you have been a part of how does that going to really look like? They had it in theory in the lab. You're in charge of taking it from the lab and putting it in practice. Um, so you probably have the best one to describe what that's going to look like for Missouri. Sure. So um, on that front end piece, when we start looking at that screening, that initial screening, we wanted to make sure that we had access to a master's level consult. We know that those are required um, anyway, and so could this team really step in and have um, the ability to screen every case that we are looking at removal for and have an on-call. We know that that has been a barrier and that's what we heard in a lot of our um, discussions was that um, sometimes there's just not access to having that good feedback with a supervisor or a master's level consult to be able to make that decision. So this team will take that initial call, will screen um, the case with the worker um, before that removal occurs, or even if that removal has occurred um, by law enforcement or juvenile office, then they will screen to see, is there anything that we might be able to put into place so that this child can go home at the protective custody hearing? We can provide that information to the court. We can have those services in place um, and work from there. We also know that um, as we mapped out this process, and this was a, a long, grueling kind of process as we went through step by step, you know, when a child comes into care, what is the first thing you need to do? What is the second? Um, and we know that that first 30 days that a child is in care is the most time consuming for our workers. There is a significant amount of work, about, I think it was around 52 hours of work per child. Um, that first 30 days coming into care. So that is a significant amount, and we know that it's the most important um, time in a case because you're providing all that information, you're reaching out and trying to locate um, potentially absent parents, establishing paternity, um, getting that information, searching for relatives, and really setting up a well-articulated plan to address those safety issues. And so, um, again, we have heard a lot of feedback that that is the most difficult and most time-consuming work is um, writing those conditions to return, setting up that case through the social service plan, um, and doing the work around that that needs to occur. And so this team will be responsible for doing a lot of that work. They will be consulting with the case manager, so there won't be that contact with the family. The case manager will still be the um, individual that has that engagement with the family, that is building that relationship with the children, feeding that information back, and all of that documentation for the first 30 days, that paperwork is going to be handled by this unit. They're going to help to facilitate that 72-hour meeting so that you can get the information that we need to be able to set up a, a good plan um, for the family and move from there. Once that occurs and that's handed back to the case manager at, at that 30-day mark, then this team is really going to be looking at how do we keep this case on track to permanency in a timely manner. And so again, I think we heard a lot of feedback that teams feel like 
between that four and six month mark, we really know kind of the direction of this case at that point. And yet what we know is that uh, most of our cases are staying open for about 31 months. Um, and so how do we move that along um, much more quickly? So this team will be doing a review um, around that four month mark um, to say, okay, have there been new issues that have come up, new safety issues that we need to address, or have there been um, areas that we could start moving? The family has been very engaged and working on making those changes, and we could actually start moving um, with good information to our court partners and, and to our teams to move this family to reunification at a much um, quicker pace. The team will also be looking on the back end. If we're not at reunification by that nine month mark, then this team is going to be coming in to do a thorough review of that case at the nine month mark so that when we hit that permanency hearing at 12 months, we are ready to provide a decision to the court on next steps. That may be, yes, we need a little more time for reunification, but we will also have um, the benefit of having some legal involved at that nine-month review as well. And so if we need to shift to a guardianship or a termination of parental rights, then we know that we have grounds established, we have all the information that we need, we've kind of done all the things that we need to do um, to engage all the different parties, and now we can move to the permanency plan of termination of parental rights at the 12-month mark. So just thinking about um, you know, some of the expectations and the benefits, this really takes a significant amount of work off of our case manager really to give them that time that we know that you want to really engage with that family, to do good social work, um, to be involved with kids, to make good decisions about placements and help support um, our foster homes. And so um, Bill has done some of the numbers and I think he'll kind of talk through what that might look like. Yeah. I. If we take the low end, like I never like taking the high end of the estimates because then if you don't meet them, everyone's like, oh, we knew it wouldn't work. But if you take the low end, you build some buffer, right? So let's build in some buffer. Of the 20 to 40% of those children at the front end that we think, are they in the right level of care? Let's just say that 15%. If we can find 15% that we could keep at home or get out in a shorter time frame, that's 32,400 hours of work that goes off the plate of our AC uh, FCS workers now. That's the equivalent of adding about 22 staff. Now, that's significant. It would be great if we had 22 fully trained, ready-to-go staff that could come in, but that's not the real key. The real key is in helping those children uh, get to their permanency sooner, right? Either back to their family or with a new forever family sooner. And if we can do that, and if we could just shave three months off of your average, so just three months, and that means that we would be taking uh, reunifications from 15 months down to 12 and adoptions from 31 months to 28. So very realistic goals. I think there's lots of buffer here, but that's the equivalent of 281,000 hours saved. That's like adding almost 190 caseworkers to your, to your workload. So imagine that if we had 200 brand new caseworkers that we could add and say take cases work with these children, how much more time we could spend with the families that we have 
to help them get to this point where we could, you know, probably take the three months and look more to four or five month uh, reduction if we had more time to spend with the families. And so this this idea of this unit and the unit not only doing the setup really well, but also doing these checkpoints to make sure that action is close to decision. Um, it doesn't take the social work away from the social worker out there working with the families. What it does is it just adds a support level, right? It supports them in their decision-making and helping them move activity close to decision. It should have a significant impact, not just on your workload, which is important, but also on how much time you have to spend with those families that need you the most. And that's why I'm really excited about it. The potential is there to really change how much time workers get with families and that's what's lacking now and we want to make sure that we have the numbers right we want to make sure that um, we are able this team is really able to help kind of move the needle and and move kids to permanency um, quicker so we're looking at doing a pilot in the st louis area and the northwest area to begin with just so that we can We've looked at the numbers of kids coming into care in those areas, and so we believe that we've come up with some numbers to support that number of children coming into care and for this team to really be able to take on that work. Once we get some additional data and information and um, have some more information to share with you, then we'll be looking at phasing in our next round of um, going statewide at some point. Oh, let, let me let me chime in here because you know if you um, you know just I, talking to people out out the, the field there's oh, there's uh, some nagging skepticism I think over over specialized units because as somebody put it to, I, I got an email just recently it's like hey look you know you, you're taking my star players and turning them into coaches this is what it's like for them right and I, I you know and I understand that I understand what they're saying but sometimes you have something that happens. It's what they call a force multiplier. You know, they talk about this in the military. Colin Powell is a big believer in this. When you do something that takes one person and gives them the power of three, you need to you need to do that. And so uh, this this idea has been has been uh, presented uh, to the uh, to the the entire leadership team to the regional directors, and it is the since I have been here, it is the most the, sort of the most unanimous, the most consensus was around this being a fantastic idea that we just got to try because it it, it takes that it, it takes that uh, a good chunk of that paperwork uh, you know the, the social service plan that is very very detailed and involved and and it, it gets all kinds of assistance into that space uh, to give people the time to be to be the the boots on the ground to, to be face to face with families and kids and people uh, and and do the work and and it's uh, I, I think it could be revolutionary for us. It could really, really make a difference. And again, we're not rolling the whole thing out right now. It's coming. It's coming in a pilot with what with the resources we have now. But you also need to know that um, we are we are advocating that these be additional people, not people that are just going to be never replaced. Right? We, that is what we're advocating for. I believe that, that that's what the ultimate outcome will be. And I think when we see that, I think it'll be very powerful. And you'll be a leader in the nation. There you go. Right? I, I, and and I, I agree. I think one of the conditions that makes this so important right now is that you're not going to be able to get 
a large amount of social workers to do. You, if we got the funding, you're not going to find 200 social workers out there who are want to do this work and can do it really quickly. So we could spend the next decade trying to train everybody to do this these functions really, really well, or we could take our existing experts and have them do the work uh, and grow from within and push it out and get the immediate results. And I think it's much more realistic, and I think that it really has the potential to change how states are looking at those first 30 days and the cadence of the uh, of the case throughout the life cycle. Well, and I think this is really kind of a solution to what we've talked about for months, which is where your workload now exceeds your caseload. So you're going to have to provide support for those workers because there's just not enough hours in a day for them to get done what needs to be done on a case. Um, and I see that reflected kind of in this solution. It's exciting to see. You know what, six months from now would be one year of CCU and six months of the setup team. So, Phil, we got to calendar you for uh, our February podcast. Well, that's, well, for February, we'll have a I love podcast theme, I guess. Oh, yeah. We'll have the little hearts with little sayings and, yeah. um, you know. There you go. And hopefully, we won't be heartbroken. Hopefully, the <laughs> pilot will be successful. We'll be looking at better caseload averages and some relief uh, for CAN. And, uh, and we can all fall in love with process change. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm really excited about it. I think that we are, we are moving in the right direction in, in a whole lot of ways. This is just one of them. And I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm excited to get the feedback about it as we pilot it because uh, policy implementation, formulation implementation isn't enough. We have to do evaluation of it so that we can make adjustments and do the things we need to do. Be assured, we will do that. And uh, I'm excited about where this is going to go. So, <clears throat> so with that, uh, I think we've about concluded uh, concluded this podcast. Is anything else for the for the good of the cause from any of you? Stay tuned, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs>